This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are still happening to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast that is kind of like hummus. We make it ourselves, but it takes fucking hours. That's right. We bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. And we're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. My name is Zach the Snack, and with me, as always, is friend, confidant, and member of my inner sanctum. Hey, it's me. It's Noon. Welcome back, Zach. Thank you for coming and doing another show with me this week. Always a pleasure. Thank you for workshopping our extraordinarily weak opening gag for like yeah, 45 minutes. You guys don't want to know how... Blood, sweat, and tears. That was the best that we came up with. That, yeah, which is it's like, pretty yeah, embarrassing. Mr. Burns, but we did 47 takes, and, and that, that was, was the, the best, best one. one. Yep. <laughs> um, we want to send a big shout out to our new patron, Mel, from Big Sky woo, Animal woo, woo, Sanctuary. Woo. Thank you so much for signing up. And also... That's really delightful. Happy birthday. That's also delightful. Um, also we delightful. Were, we were planning on coming and doing a little trip out to, to see you guys and to see the sanctuary. Um, uh, but obviously, that was like the week that lockdown started for the rest of our lives. So maybe mm. uh, maybe another year. Um, but... Also. We're, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're keen. <laughs> you can sign up to our patron too. Uh, if you want to, $1 a month, uh, minimum $1 a month, monthly bonus episode, plus other cool stuff, including access to our Discord. And yeah, as Noon mentioned, um, <laughs> this sort show of, does yeah. take us a long time to make. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we've been, and we've been trying genuinely not to be making like hour and a half long shows yeah, every week. Yeah. But, it just you know, happens. there's always so many stories that we feel like we have to talk about. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time. So anyway, we've, We've introduced some little self-imposed restrictions mm-hmm. this week, um, which we're hoping will kind of make the show a little bit more manageable and sustainable for us. So uh, one thing that we're go- we're doing is we've introduced a new segment, which we're going to do at the top of the show, where we spend a little bit of time talking about the stuff that we're not really going to properly talk about. But yeah, we've we been doing feel... this a little bit the last few weeks, but we've... Yeah. Yeah. It's now its own thing. Yeah. Um, so why don't we play this... Definitely not embarrassing new sting. Before the degustation begins, can I interest you in sampling some of our entrees, aperitifs, or starters? I say, jolly good. I believe I'll have one of everything, my good man. Cool. So the first one uh, that we want to start with is... The first aperitif. The first aperitif. Because it's a snack-themed... Guys, it's a snack-themed political podcast. Yeah, because we're eating Very important. And... First up is a little, uh, 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 just a, a dash of lobster on a cucumber. Um, because, of course, Matthew Guy, uh, I don't know why it's on cucumber, it just seemed. <laughs> Matthew fancy, Guy. Fancy stuff comes on cucumber instead of a cracker. Is once again the leader of the Victorian Liberal Party. And there's been a lot of memeing about it, this, which I think maybe we've got some posts about it later. But anyway, it, on another level, it's a total non-event. Um, and it, it, it's only interesting because Matthew Guy is somehow at once both the best possible choice because 
no one can name any other Liberal members other than Tim Smith. And also the worst possible choice, because we all remember him vividly for three things. One, lying about African gangs. Two, lobster with a mobster. And three, despite both of those two things, somehow the most memorable thing about him is his last name, Guy. Like, I feel like he's somehow magically both highly memorable and completely forgettable in a way that makes him perfectly useless as a politician. So... Yeah, That's... I saw a tweet that was like, Guy takes control of Victorian Liberal Party. <laughs> yes. And someone was like, he has a name. Uh, it's funny. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, also on our uh, little... S- Snack platter. Also on our little uh, s- yeah, serving platter of aperitifs is um, that, hilariously, Lyle Shelton has been disendorsed <laughs> for the leadership of the Australian Christian Democrats. Great. That was By quick. Fred Nile himself, winner of... The Family Voice inaugural 2021 <laughs> Father's Day photographic competition. Yeah, as yeah. I'm sure that everybody All is of our aware. listeners, yeah. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to take a moment at the top of the show to say, eat shit, Lyle. Yep. Um, uh, both Lyle Shelton and Fred Nile are high in the running for largest and stinkiest piece of shit in Australian politics. Two absolute, like, turbocharged Titans weapons for conservatives. terrible people. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know... I don't know, really bringing the, really, really working overtime to make sure that homophobia is still on the uh, political mm-hmm. docket mm-hmm. in New South Wales. Anyway, uh, Niall put out a statement this week on his Facebook saying, I do not agree nor have supported many of Mr. Shelton's opinions that he's shared on his Facebook page and his e-news. Lyle often acted without consultation with my team. As a result of this division, I have sought God's guidance. Therefore, I will complete my democratically elected term as a member of the Legislative Council of New South Wales into the next state election in 2023. Okay. So, yeah, God told me, actually, don't step down, bro. (laughs) Yep. Is a a pretty amazing way to, like, in the same fucking press release as being like, yeah, I didn't like his posts, so I'm backing out on our deal. He was like, yeah, don't make him the head of this organization. (laughs) God was like, Lyle's been posting cringe. God famously gets involved in managerial decisions all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he has ordained Fred Nile to keep being his uh, point man for terrible, terrible ideas on Earth. We're also not going to do a full story on the Women's Safety Summit, which uh, happened at the end of last week. We didn't mention it on last show, last week's show as well um yeah i mean there's been a fair amount of discourse kicked off about that Mm -hmm. about how it's fairly hypocritical of the government to be putting on something called the women's safety summit when they've just rejected a number of recommendations from the respect at work report uh and from my perspective it's the whole thing is just image management for morrison which i think is Mm -hmm. uh nowhere better expressed than the fact that he was the keynote speaker uh, at this event so you know it's really it's an opportunity for him to to get it's up real but it's been hit tony abbott minister for women hours right even though we already have a prime minister for women yeah um and uh yeah i mean look it's been roundly criticized um you know by people such as Brittany higgins and grace tame there's been criticism around the lack of experience uh, the lack of participants mm-hmm. with lived experience mm-hmm. 
we'll recommend that people go and listen to uh, the next episode of Loud, Angry and Not Sorry, which will touch on the, the Women's Safety Summit briefly, as well as a bunch of the other stuff that we were discussing mm-hmm. last week in detail. So definitely go and check out Loud, Angry and Not Sorry's next episode. Cool. Um, and our last aperitif is going to be slightly longer because it sort of indirectly leads into our next story slash I'm bad at following the guidelines that we decided we would try to do. Uh, but I mean, that the, the the Women's Safety Summit also ties in. So, yeah. Um, and this uh, is about Christina K. Keneally. Um, she has been announced as the new Labour candidate or likely new Labour candidate for the ultra secure Labour seat of Fowler um, in Western Sydney. So until now, she's been in the Senate, um, but because of silly factional infighting, um, she is no longer guaranteed the Senate spot. So she's set to replace the retiring MP in Fowl, who's a guy called Chris Hayes, who's been there since 2010 and in Parliament five years before that. And so Keneally is what the media loves to call a rising star. Other notable rising stars from Labour's recent past include, of course, Mark Latham and Sam Dastyari. <laughs> Um, and, and one of the ways in which she's a rising star is that she made the move from New South Wales state politics up to federal politics and then has immediately gotten into the front bench and is generally, like, one of the more notable people in Labour's team at the moment. Yes, um, after making the, the the leap from Sky News journalist to New South Wales state politics. Yeah, and she also was kind of the only person not to get smeared by the, like... 1990s corruption scandals and the Labour Party, New South Wales Labour Party, even though it seems hmm. like maybe she was potentially allegedly involved in some of the things that people went to jail for. But anyway. Phew, lucky yeah. escape. <clears throat> Totes. So the other main candidate for the seat, uh, candidate to be pre-selected, but it's like a 63% Labour seat. So like, if you are the Labour candidate, you win. Um, so the other main candidate for the seat is a woman named Tuli, um, who's endorsed by the retiring MP, Chris Hayes. So, hmm, okay. Um, he's like, wow, you should get this woman who was born and raised in the area and who is a child of Vietnamese refugees who live around here and is a member of the community. Um, and so, of course, the Labour apparatchik's like, how about we get Christina Keneally, who lives in, like, inner Sydney, grew up in... Not Ohio. just in Sydney. She lives on an island in the Scotland northern beaches. Island. Yeah, yes. it sounds like it's in a different country. Um, yeah, and uh, well, that's her holiday home. To be fair, I'm pretty sure. I think she lived in Hunters Hill until recently. So yeah, that's a 1.8 million dollar <laughs> holiday, holiday home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess during a <laughs> labor pandemic. values, bro. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of labor values, Sky she News spent money. the last few years basically endorsing the government's anti-refugee policy. So it's a particularly gross person to be parachuted in to replace a Vietnamese-Australian woman who's In, like, parents... a very multicultural right, right. electorate as well. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, as I understand it, there is still a pre-selection battle, so it's possible that Thule might get the gig, but as with Morrison interfering for Craig Kelly to get his seat, it's possible that Labour leadership might intervene in this pre-selection battle and yeah i mean this this represents the party leadership wanting her there absolutely because they they like her they think she's a good performer they want her in parliament wait and i think in my mind she sort of represents the worst things about the labor party which just to be clear i'm not saying she's the worst person in the labor party there are much worse people than her but i feel like she's emblematic of this issue because she's power hungry Again, not that that's unusual, and it's kind of, you know, I just want to really reiterate 
this because you know it's a woman and there are plenty of men who are power hungry and the thing i'm not singling her out it's just that this is the story and and i think it's emblematic she's power hungry she's concerned with getting ahead and all of her criticisms of the coalition are weak because she's not willing to take any stances that would get her criticized from the right so it just like in fact she does the opposite she often tries to outflank the libs from from the right right. totally yeah. yeah and so Thus, she represents all of the worst things about the Labour Party. Because, you know, I think it's very silly when people say the Labour Party is as bad as the Liberals. That seems obviously not true. But I think the reason it's not true is that the Labour Party is split between the Keneallys and, you know, the Anthony Albanese's and the, the, the Bob Hawks and the Joel Fitzgibbons who want to get power and therefore get into leadership positions, right? They're mainly motivated to climb the ranks, so they end up being in leadership positions. And the people like Tuli, who, you know, not that I know much about her, but who seems to be a member of the community who's just trying to represent her community and get some progressive and good outcomes... Um, So there's this split Yeah, I mean, she was like a a lawyer who represented refugee clients versus Christina Keneally, who... Is trying to lock people... And refugee camps. Was a literal Sky News host. Yes. So, yeah, and was a Sky News host. Yeah. So, and I don't think the Liberal Party has that split. I don't think the Liberal Party is split between power hungry people and the do gooders, as it were. <laughs> I think they're all on the power hungry side, which leads me to our first story Fashy Australia. Yeah. So, before we get started, I just wanted to give a brief content warning. We're going to be talking about, um, sexual assault and uh, family and domestic violence. Not very graphic at all, but we'll mention that a bit. So we'll put time codes in the show notes and you can uh, see there what when, when to skip ahead to if you don't want to hear this. And the, the sort of angle I took on this was, what is the point of being in government? And I think between... And, you know, this is just some, like, entry-level cynicism, but between... Christina K. Keneally. That's, I mean, come on. What do you think people are listening to the show for? That's right. The the Women's Safety Summit, which you mentioned, um, and the story I'm about to talk about, which is about the Human Rights Commissioner, it turns out the answer is very, very clearly to get yourself and your friends cushy jobs. Mm. Um, but the problem with that is that uh, these cushy jobs also involve being in the spotlight of the entire country. And so they have to swing between blatant selfishness and corruption and pretending that they care and trying to like fix the optics and i feel like there has been a lot of that this week and that the women's safety summit although this isn't really a story about that really i think features heavily in this story right um but, the, yeah, I mean, the, it's i mean yeah but it's all about spin and image management right not actually doing anything material to address the issues that they exactly. say that they want to address. And in fact, doing harm in a selfish way while doing that, because as Grace Tame pointed out, um, Morrison disclosed a bunch of information from confidential letters that he had received from victim survivors of, you know, sexual violence and other sorts of violence. Um, and she was like, we have psychologists on staff to make sure our replies to those emails don't hurt people. And here's and and I don't talk about other people's stories, and I'm spending all of my time 
listening to them. Prime Minister mm. got three, and he read three out. Anyway, whatever. I've got some quotes from that later. But it's, it's a destructive way of doing this totally. shit as well. Yeah. So, this week, Michaelia Cash, um, who is a government minister, announced the government's pick for the new Australian Human Rights Commissioner. And so there are a series of human rights commissioners, mostly with a sort of limited scope. So there's the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, who we've talked about recently uh, in relation to... Um, Respect at work. Yep. As the Age Discrimination Commissioner, um, there's uh, E-Safety Commissioner, who we talked about, about that thing from uh, Whole Money and the, uh, the bill that would um, ban sex stuff online. Um, so, and this is a role that sort of oversees all of these commissioners, um, and it's been handed to a woman named Lorraine Finley. Um, and Finley is a West Australia Liberal Party figure. Um, she was the head of the West Australian Liberal Women's Council for over a decade. Um, so obviously was, would have been close with, um, for example, uh, what's her face? Uh, Julie Bishop during that time. Um, she's run as a Liberal candidate before... Um, and is generally pretty shitty. Oh, she's a she's a um, she's a lawyer. She's a, a legal scholar. Um, so she's written a, basically a full book about Clause 18C of the Race Discrimination Act, um, which is too long and boring of an issue to go into here. But basically, this is the thing that makes it illegal to yell the N word a lot in public. Um, and she wrote a book about how why that's bad. Yeah, free, what about my freedom of speech? Uh-huh. Um, she's opposed to affirmative consent laws or enthusiastic consent laws. They're sometimes called or yes means le- yes laws um, on the basis that if men have to get consent before they have sex, we're taking away their rights. Um, that's not an exact quote, but it's close to an exact quote from part of a 35-minute interview that um, this person, Finley, uh, Lorraine Finley, did with Bettina Arndt. Um, now, our listeners might remember Bettina Arndt for a variety of things, Zach. Do you, like, do you remember what one of the, the greatest talking hits? about Bettina Arndt? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean she's essentially like a figurehead for anti-feminism yep. in Australia. She's like an explicit anti-feminist, and especially loves talking about uh, rules around consent and. Had did like gave a really fucked interview with mm-hmm. Grace Thames abuser, mm-hmm. which was a like just fucking awful. Where she essentially gave him like a free pass for what he did. Yeah, and like Lorraine Finley, no doubt knew about that and did this hangout. Well, that's with what Bettina the entire Ryan. conversation that yes. they had was about. Yeah, it's all it's all about how any laws that yep. make that place the onus for getting consent. Uh, on the, you know, on men in a heterosexual situation, um, you know, and in an affirmative way, yeah, basically is like, oh yeah, but it's going to make things really awkward and tough for boys. Like that's their position. It, like it, these, it's they, really, really, really. It's gross like legal stuff. scholars being like, oh, but what about the thrill of like improvisation? Yeah, that's not exactly how she put it, but you know, yeah, it's so silly. And and because of this association with Bettina Arndt, I feel like that Finley is a specific big middle finger to Grace Tame. Uh, yeah. Like maybe I'm reading slightly too much in there, but at the very, at the very most generous reading, this is a terrible, terrible and aggressively rude choice. Um, and, you know, the, I mean, the government sees, 
tame as like an enemy. an enemy. Yes. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, I think it's pretty difficult not to read this as a direct attack on her. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, it's gross and shitty, but the real problem isn't Finley. It's Michaelia Cash and Scott Morrison. And so here's a quote from The Guardian quoting Grace Tame. The foundation of the issue of domestic violence, the foundation of the issue of sexual violence, is one of control, said Grace Tame on Tuesday. It's about abuse of power. Unless I stand up to that and call that out directly here on this platform, unless I say we've got people abusing their power in the highest position of power right now, I'd be a hypocrite. Tame said that this appointment of Lorraine Finley reflected a proven track record with this government with its inability to understand these issues, its inability to address the fundamental issue of women's safety even within Parliament itself. And she also said in another interview, This is part of a clear pattern of denial, minimization, ultimately dismissal of women's issues. You've got Brittany Higgins, Christine Holgate, Julia Banks. Really, this summit is an extension of that. It's been so poorly organized, it's incredibly secretive, it's also very exclusionary. Um, yeah, no, and that's, I think she cuts to the heart of the issue there, which is that you just have to look past what the government says, mm-hmm, it believes mm-hmm. on this stuff, what mm-hmm. it says it wants to do, and these, like, yeah, the, these meanings, that these, um, you know, measures that ultimately don't actually commit them to any action, like this, you know, uh, summit of the, you know, there, totally. there is going to be a national plan developed as a result of it, but, you know, it's, again, it's a lot of spin, but look what they're actually doing. They're putting people who publicly have undermined the idea of taking any kind of action to you know protect yep. people from sexual assault in p- positions of power totally like, that's and what I they're think, actually doing i think as well it's just so you know i i sort of said this up top about the point seems to be get in positions of power and then do whatever you need to do to get the optics sorted out and like, um, there's another quote here from an article, I think it's from The Guardian. Um, the summit was a gesture of atonement. But again, the government tripped over its own feet. Higgins says she wasn't invited to participate in the summit until the ACT Victims of Crime Commission arranged for her to be a delegate. So the government yeah. doesn't, like, they're only doing this because they know they might get hammered over it. And while they do it, they make things worse. Um, and it's because they not only don't care, but are, yeah, as you say, Zach, like actively working to make things worse for women. And we've really seen Morrison lay the cards on the table this week. And, you know, he actively refused to implement the recommendations of the Respect at Work report, which you talked about last week. Now he's promoting someone who will be working hard to prevent progressive legal measures get made. um, And who's chumming with some of the, yeah, most shitty anti-women safety campaigners in the country. Mm -hmm. And moreover, like, the Royal Commission into Family Violence ended in 2015, you know, and like we probably knew before then, but we know what needs to be done. And there's a whole lot of sort of peripheral things that like effective childcare, affordable housing, well-funded legal services, uh, police who don't directly harm the victim survivors that go to them, courts mm. that will get convictions. And Morrison does the opposite of all of these at all times. Yeah. Um, It's bad. Yeah, yeah. All, all of these measures that could, you know, improve things materially for women mm-hmm. are all things that the government actively attacked. Yep. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of really gross rhetoric um, from Morrison and also Maurice Payne, mm. Minister for Women, at the um, Women's Safety Summit, kind of talking about, oh, you know, we need to work together here. There can't be oppositional 
tactics, you know, critics are kind of like stopping us from being able to make progress on the issue. And also broadly kind of like, oh, you know, social media is really bad for public discourse. And then it's really mm-hmm. poisonous. And it's like, it's just like, take some fucking responsibility. Yeah. There's so many things that you could do to affect positive yep. change here. Yep. And they're absolutely, totally politically and ethically incapable of doing any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's talk about something a little bit more pleasant. We're going to move on to our First Nations story, which is also the Positivity Corner this week. Positivity Corner. Cool. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk briefly about um, two new Indigenous women candidates for the Greens um, that have recently been installed, which is uh, very exciting. So first up, I wanted to talk about Dorinda Cox, who is going to replace Green Senator Rachel Seawitt, um, who she was a senator for Western Australia. She's resigned. Dorinda Cox is uh, replacing her and I think will be entering Parliament sometime this month. Cool. Uh, and she's been pre-selected as the Greens' top Senate candidate in Western Australia for the next nice. federal election, uh, which is really cool. So Cox is a Yamachi Noongar woman. Um, her family's from southwestern Western Australia. Uh, most of her, uh, especially recent experiences in family domestic violence um, advocacy and services over the past 20 years. She was on the National Council to Reduce Violence Against Women and Their Children. She uh, was the director of the board of Our Watch, which is a national mm-hmm. um, anti-family violence organization. Uh, so she's got heaps of experience working with governments at all levels, doing policy and advocacy and that kind of stuff. Um, Cox is a is a pretty outspoken feminist. She has spoken multiple times uh, in interviews that I saw about Noongar culture being matriarchal and gender equal. Um, and she uh, speaks about how those were things that were taken away by mm. colonization. So she has, um, you know, she, you know, it describes her, her feminism as being sort of, you know, centered around, uh, you know, her indigenous identity as well. Um, she's also kind of interestingly an ex-cop. Mm-hmm. She became a police cadet um, when she was 17, which is kind of eye-watering. And she was mm-hmm. in the force for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to read a quote here from a National Indigenous Times profile uh, on Dorinda Cox. They quote her saying, I went to see my grandmother, my dad's mother. I told her I was joining the police. And the first thing she said to me was, are you going to take children away from their parents? It was heart-wrenching to hear that. She had seven children removed. This is the reality for Aboriginal women, even today in 2021. So clearly there's, you know, she kind of had pretty complex feelings mm. around that and ha- had a pretty um, complex response from her community. Um, but um, listen to an interview that she gave in 2019, uh, and she pretty explicitly outlined having an anti-carceral position uh, on domestic violence specifically. She spoke about the fact that sending people to you know, sending men to prison doesn't stop mm-hmm. violence from occurring uh, and the need in, to invest instead in uh, education and, you know, healing for men. Uh, so, you know, while she was in the police force, I don't think that she uh, has a particularly pro-cop attitude. Sure, yeah, yeah. As far as I can Makes tell. Makes sense, yep. Um, her other priorities um, are a treaty, um, which, you know, is... Uh, you know, something that we've talked about quite a few times on the show. Also yep. something that um, 
the other green, Indigenous Greens Senator, uh, Lydia Thorpe, is also very interested in. And Dorinda Cox has also spoken about the need for a federal inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women. Uh, and, and she said of this, I think a national inquiry will look at both practice within the justice system, in particular policing, and to look at how do we change those systems? How do we dismantle them? So, yeah, she comes in with a really strong uh, background, you know, the opposite, really, of a lot of the stuff that we were talking about. Yeah, these exactly. People that have yeah. been installed by the liberal government yep. coming with a strong, yeah, uh, you know, a strong feminist perspective, strong experience working in family and domestic violence. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, a, a real drive to make meaningful change on those issues. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it'll be exciting to see uh, what she does when she's in the Senate. Uh, and the other person I wanted to talk about, which um, is, uh, yeah, th this one I really, uh, really made me happy, is a, a, a local government candidate called Diane Stokes. So the Northern Territory just had their local elections at the end of August. Mm -hmm. The results are coming in now. And Diane Stokes uh, has been elected as a Greens candidate for the Barclay Region local government area. So she's a, a Warramungu and Wallamampa woman. Uh, so the Barclay region uh, covers like central and, and eastern Northern Territory. It's about 70% indigenous population. Mm -hmm. The main town that it covers is Tennant Creek, uh, along with other small, you know, uh, smaller remote indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, what a local government area means in the Northern Territory is pretty different to what it means sure. in other parts of the country. So just for comparison... The Barclay Region local government area covers over 300,000 square kilometers Whoa. and has just over 7,000 even imagine how big that is. That's wild. Yeah, it's, it's enormous. Compared to Melbourne, which is my local government area, mm -hmm. 37 square kilometers and over 160,000 constituents. So obviously the, you know, the issues and, and the politics are going to be very different. Very different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yes, Diane Stokes came first in her ward, oh, which wow. is really cool. That's awesome. And she's the first Green elected to the to Sick. the Barclay Council. And basically, she seems like a total badass, from what I can tell. She's best known uh, probably for in the region for helping to run a decade-long campaign against the nuclear waste dump. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Um, which, yeah, the federal government wanted to install that near Tennant Creek, which <laughs> fucked. But yeah, they won that campaign, which is really, uh, which is awesome. Uh, she's worked in uh, other sort of volunteer community roles, including in health services. And I've also seen articles where she spoke out about the community development program, which is kind of like mm -hmm. an extra turbo racist version of work for the doll that um, was inflicted on like right. almost 80% or something. about that in one of our very early episodes. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it was almost entirely indigenous people in that program. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, she's got it. You know, she's a grassroots activist who has a long history of organizing and advocating on behalf of her community against fuck shit that the government is doing, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a great CV to have. Yes, uh, if you're going to be trying to <laughs> become a politician, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, her platform is uh, the three main things that she um, has kind of outlined that she wants to do is. Uh, Establish well-resourced family centers, the idea being Great. to support families to stay out of the justice system and out of the welfare system. Um, she wants to develop services that enable people to stay on country mm -hmm. um, for, you know, like health and work and education, rather than having to move into, you know, town, right. specifically right. in this case, Tennant Creek. Um, and she's uh, 
been very explicit about protecting country from fracking, mm-hmm. which is Great. you know obviously uh, you know super important issue. And uh, she's also spoken about wanting to secure safe drinking water for all communities. So um, she's yeah seems like a fantastic candidate, someone who is uh, really well respected within her local community. And I'll just end here with this quote um, from an interview that she gave in the Northern Territory News. Miss Stokes has lived and worked in the Barclay her entire life and said her community had been asking her to run for council for a long time. I decided this year after I turned 59 that it was time to run and be a strong voice for my people. Hell yeah. Which, fuck yeah. Nice one. Cool. That's uh, what, what a good Puzz Corner slash First Nations story. Thanks, Zach. Um... You bet. Uh, now it's time to move on. Shitpost of the week. And we didn't really have one. Well, we've got a couple. We we have several. Uh, we have some posts. Yeah, we got. Some, we definitely have some posts. Um. So the first one, uh, want to give a, a shit post of the week award to Effie Eldon for um sharing a uh, the Empire game uh into uh Ospol shit posting. Which, you know, I think I've seen ads for this before, but the one that's unique about this, the thing that's unique about this is that the two strains of weed that you can grow are Sour Scomo and Weed Bix. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> how, wait, how, how do you like this one? Um, you can't smoke Sour Scomo from a bong because I don't hold a hose, mate. Nice. What, what do you think? What do you yeah, it's pretty comedy? good. No, I like that. Yeah, that's... <laughs> is this anything? This is something. Um, also, <laughs> the Sour Scomo one seems to have the Grim Reaper yeah, sparking a, little... a joint in front of it. Yeah, it's the the only strain that will make you pick up your phone and call the cops on yourself. That's... it's <laughs> good, yeah. That's, that's Scomo strain of weed. The Weed Bix seems like it would maybe be a little bit dry. I don't know. It looks uncured to me, on the contrary. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, Has it's anybody got the number played one. Empire? It, it, I'm pretty sure it's an idle game, so the answer is that no. no, liter- no not even the people who have downloaded it have played it. It's <laughs> not the sort of game that you play. It's, um, is it, you're, so would it be like that you know, lemonade stand game, we, but just with weed? That's what I'm picturing. It's like idle communist, I think. Or uh, I don't know. I... I'm completely, I'm completely out of my depth here, but this is a hilarious. Download some idle games; they're impressively boring. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sounds like the point. Um, yeah, probably won't be picking up a twenty or the South Gomo anytime soon. Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, we have a wonderful little bit of. Is it OC? It's a. Uh, it, it was. It's originally generated. <laughs> yeah, it's OC to Steph, uh, co-host of Loud Angry and Not Sorry, uh, posted in Ospol shit posting this amazing graph. Uh, they've done a Google Trends search um, of critical race theory and ivermectin, and there's just this amazing like, as one goes down, the other goes up. Um, perfect overlap, just fabulous stuff. Yeah, the only conclusion that it's reasonable to draw from this data is that critical race theory is good for public health. And it makes people smart. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think this is hard evidence of that. Um, and we even have a shit post this week, uh, which is going to... 
unfortunately notorious shitpost to Julian Burnside, former Greens candidate, member yeah, of... In the embodiment of everything you don't want in a Greens candidate. He's the yes. Christina K. Keneally of the Greens. Of the Greens, he well, is. formerly yeah, of the Greens. Yeah, yeah, uh, What was the club he was a member of? The... the... It's called like the Colonial Club or something. There's no <laughs> women allowed. I was gonna say crusty old white guy club, and that's it. It's like almost literally Wasn't... called that or yeah, something. Exactly, it's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, he did a tweet which was, "Okay, so you don't want to get vaccinated, but will you agree to pay the full cost of treatment if slash when you get COVID? No Medicare, full hospital costs. Will you sign an agreement to that effect as a condition of non-vaccination?" Hey, Julian Burnside, shut the fuck up. Universal healthcare doesn't mean except for people I don't like. Fuck you. Get out of the greens. That's not a greens thing to say. What? What? Shut the fuck up. No. It's so good that he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. It really he fucking sucks so much. Now, dude, can you? Uh, <laughs> and the last one here. Uh, it's the template where Dwight from the American Office is a. Uh, happily talking to camera and then uh, Angela is lurking behind him and, and surprises him and he turns around and goes, fuck. And it's him, uh, he's, he's labeled me making fun of John Barillaro at work. And then turning around to see my coworker revealing that he is a friendly Geordie's fan, <laughs> which I strongly feel this. Like, yeah, it happens all John the time. John Barillaro is a massive piece of shit and it is so, you know, like it's very easy to poke fun at him. I mean, he just, he literally said, call me Pork Barilaro. Like, yeah. you can't just give people that kind of ammunition. <laughs> and then expect yeah. them not to roast you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But also, watching Friendly Geordie's videos about him makes me, like, I'm, you, I don't, you know, it's not going to make me like John Barilaro, but I'm like, God. Maybe I shouldn't make fun of him. Well, yeah, it makes me feel dirty, just, like, I get a contact, I get uh -huh. contact shame, you know? <laughs> like, is this what I sound like? And, it's fucked, I fucked if I know, but... Yep. Shouts out to Frank Mullet for that contribution of the Else Pole Shitposting Facebook group. Make sure you head over there and uh, sign up if you like shitposting at Ozpol. Gotta answer the questions, though, or we just, hands of time, can't let you in. Just legally... Can't do it, you know. Now it's time to move on. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Where you bring, where you bring, where you bring the snacks. It's been a little while since we've had one of these, uh, a little listener submission. And I will be honest, I did actively have to commission this potluck. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But potluck is a segment where we play a little bit of audio sent in by a listener speaking about ideally a political topic or anything else that they're interested in or ideally um, a meme yeah a meme meme is also good uh so a little bit of context let me start off here with a tweet from toby fitch mm -hmm. who is a creative writing lecturer at sydney uni it is are you okay day UCID has chosen today to inform thousands of its casuals that they are not eligible for conversion as per the new fair work legislation to convert casual workers after 12 months of work. University of Sydney even sent me a rejection despite me winning conversion four months ago. Cool. That sounds yes. legally watertight on the behalf yeah. of Sydney University. 
<laughs> well, there have been many such posts going around this week as universities across the country, en masse, set their workers down to explain in detail that they were refusing to improve their conditions. Cool. Because the Fair Work Act has required them to review which casual staff are eligible for conversion to continuing work. Right. And just as a little... Uh, just here's a little stat to kind of let you know how that went, just to give you the flavor. The cool. University of Sydney has confirmed that 69, nice, out of 4,173 wow. casual staff assessed were offered permanent employment. It's like one and a bit percent, I think. Mm, Is that mm, cool? Mm. Um, cool. Quick math. So I. That's not me endorsing your maths, but no, no, just, no, no. I I'm endorsing the no, feeling no. of the maths. Listeners, so. please assume that that's not right. Yeah, as always, <laughs> very safe <laughs> assumption when it comes to us and numbers. <laughs> I can't wait to get uh, emails about this. Sir, I have a friend who works at a university. That friend's name is Jack. He is one of the hosts of the Spooky Speaks podcast, which I mm-hmm. cannot recommend enough. Please mm-hmm. go and listen to it. Um, I asked Jack to tell us a little bit more about this because we were having a conversation about it just the other day. And so uh, Jack sent us a a really thorough potluck about this, which is uh, fantastic and gives a really great, uh, gives really great context for the situation. So we'll play that now. It goes for about five minutes. Take it away, Jack. Hi, Zach and Noon. Um, Zach reached out to me um, following some of the emails that a lot of people have been seeing on Twitter about university workers uh, being considered or denied uh, fixed-term positions or ongoing positions. Now, this might seem like a pretty niche issue, but I think it's quite interesting and quite telling about the recent changes to the Fair Work Act for casual workers. So as you both discussed on the show quite a while ago now, our government has recently introduced changes to the Fair Work Act, um, and these have now come into effect. Now, part of what emerged in the press around this was that it would produce a pathway for casuals to get more secure work. However, this is largely spin. And to understand why this is, we need to get a larger context for how this law came into being. So, um, basically, uh, the changes to the Fair Work Act for casuals um, emerged following a court decision that determined that a bunch of FIFO workers uh, were not actually casual employees, but were something else. And therefore, their employer had to back pay them a, a shitload of money. Now, this caused a huge kind of panic in the business community, and there was lobbying. And so the government tried to introduce legislation that would change what it meant to be a casual employee. The key shift being here that um, basically, if an employer says that you're a casual worker, you are a casual worker. There is no sort of independent understanding of what a casual worker is. So, when that went tried to go through the Senate, it was knocked back because it was sort of seen as being too too cruel on casual work in the middle of, pande- of the pandemic. So, in order to get it through, a compromise was made, and this was this conversion clause. Now, the idea is, is that you've been in place, you've worked secure hours for about a year, um, you should be offered, well, you have to be offered a pathway to conversion, so into sort of fixed or full-time work. Now... That might sound fantastic, but there's a bunch of sort of uh, little... There's a bunch of space for riddling. So, um, there's sort of four reasons why an employer can get out of sort of converting somebody to full-time employment. Basically, if the employer can say that the employee's position will not exist within the year, um, if their hours of work are due to be reduced, 
Um, if there's going to be a significant change in the days or times of work um, that can't be accommodated by the employee, um, and that the offer would not comply with the recruitment or selection process required by the law, the employee can say, sorry, the employer can say, bugger off, basically. Um, there's also a few other kind of uh, things to consider. So it requires you to have worked continuous, continuously over the course of, you know, across the year. Uh, which is going to push out certain casuals from employment. And it would be very interesting to see how this applies to people who are living through the, COVID, the coronavirus pandemic, right, um, who've been pushed out of their sort of hospitality jobs for periods of three months or whatever um, because there's been no work, right? Uh, are those people going to be excluded from conversion for that reason? Now, you will have seen on Twitter people talking about uh, universities reaching out to them saying, uh, sorry, you're not a real employee. We are not going to convert you to um, full-time employment. Now, there's a few reasons for this, and it's got largely to do with the nature of academic work that I won't sort of go into here. But the key thing about these emails is that um, they sort of more or less evidence all the gaps in the sort of legislation for conversion. So obviously, academic work, even when it is done continuously over a year, is not consistent. Um, so, you know, I've worked every single week for about the last two years, but my hours aren't consistent and I'm working across multiple contracts. So therefore that, that invalidates the kind of work that I'm doing. It doesn't offer a pathway to conversion. Um, the other element to consider here is that because the employer gets to say what is a fixed time position and what is a casual position, and then the only thing that matters is their determination of that, they can call something that is pure teaching a casual job and then sort of define academic work as being different to that. So to give some context here, uh, uh, academic employees, you know, people who are employed as academics, get paid a research loading, so, you know, to, to do research, and they also get paid a service loading, so, you know, to go to meetings or that. Now, casuals do do that work at universities. They're simply not paid for it. And so this has provided the university with a very good excuse uh, to <laughs> tell every casual in the country to fuck off. So I think what this kind of points to, of course, is that uh, despite education being, higher education being one of the most lucrative industries um, in Australia, you know, it, even sort of in the sort of post-coronavirus context, um, our government is actively working against creating secure futures for the sector. Um, and, you know, university casualization is disastrous for a bunch of reasons that uh, perhaps is for another time. But yeah, uh, when you see all these people panicking, uh, this is obviously an outcome of a conservative government's policy that was always going to fuck over casual workers because it's a conservative government. Keep snacking. Yeah, I feel like that kind of ties into, you know, a bit of the running theme that we've had this episode about, like, what is it that people in government are doing? And it's, it turns out it's deliberately making things worse. Yeah, well, I guess this is a f kind of a funny one because, like, casualization, like the massive casualization mm. of the tertiary sector was kind of already ongoing. It's sure, already it huge wage theft. Yeah, yeah, sessional markers, you know, work yeah. hours for free. Like, we've covered a lot of this stuff on yeah. the show before. Um, and then, <laughs> but this like most recent iteration is like this sort of little follow-up clause that the government put into a piece of fucked legislation to kind of make it seem less fucked 
And now, and part of the like requirements of that was that employers like these universities would, ha- would have to let their staff know whether they qualified for this. Like, totally. And so now, pe- rather than actually getting anyone qualified or helping anybody, it's just resulted in them telling everyone. In just Fuck rejection you. letters. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an extraordinarily dark uh, situation. And the fact that, yeah, many people receive these letters uh, on Are You OK Day is mm-hmm. also pretty special. But yeah, look, you know, there are there is pushback happening against this from within branches of the NTEU. So if you are, you know, a uni employee, there's never been a better time to join your union. So that's, you know, the one thing that we can leave you with in that story. Totally. But Noon, let's move on to our next. Yeah, so this is our mains um, for this week. And uh, it's about the High Court, which is Australia's highest court. They've been smoking on the scout on the South Gomo. <laughs> uh, I just ninety percent of the time when a, a court sounds like it should be the biggest one, it's not. Mm, yeah, um, high is above supreme. And yeah. federal's in the middle. Well, it seems. Well, there's no federal supreme. The supreme courts are all state. Yes, courts, but I don't know if they're all the highest. Well. Uh, yeah, they, all, exactly. they all have to sound important. Right, but high just sounds like it's kind of like in the top third. You know, like, I feel like supreme implies su- yeah, supreme. Yeah, you know, Whereas if I was high, choosing... Or the highest court. <laughs> you know, maybe we could have a, a highest court. Doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is that the high, we, we do have a highest court. It's called the high court. And they have ruled that news outlets are liable for defamatory comments on their Facebook posts. Um, excuse me, de- derobing mid mid podcast, getting warm here. <laughs> Noon stripping <laughs> off his dressing gown while I'm talking about. You know, it should just be called the highest court. So it's just a, a real. Do, do you want your uh, your son to grow up to be a, a stripper or just the Supreme Court? How about both? <laughs> like the late Earl Warren? Yeah. Okay. So, um, this isn't a funny story, despite me getting undressed during it. So, um. <laughs> The High Court has ruled that news outlets that are liable... Is that typically proceed comedy? Is that... <laughs> getting undressed. No, but... It's not like something I do to, like... Serious up the mood. Bring about a solemn tone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez Louise. It's, great I radio it's just a bit warm in my room. That's it. Okay. The High Court has ruled that news outlets are liable for defamatory comments on their Facebook posts. So this came about because Dylan Voller, who was a young, is a young Indigenous man who was basically tortured in prison as a child, uh, wants to sue Fairfax and News Corp because on their Facebook posts about him... Oh, sorry, the Facebook posts of articles about him, there are a bunch of really horrible comments made about him by nasty fucking racists in the comments in australia yeah yep um so they basically he took them to court and they were like listen i don't think you can sue us for this and so they appealed to the high court and the high court has found against the media companies saying that they are at least potentially liable for these comments so now it will go back to that lower court where vola will try and actually sue them for defamation so they've been given the go ahead to be allowed to try to sue so they still have to prove that these things are defamatory or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of 
from my point of view, fascinating commentary from the various justices of the High Court um, and also, you know, lawyers and whatever, experts. Um, uh, But honestly, I'm really reluctant to go into them in this segment because I'm 100% guaranteed to severely misunderstand them um, and think that a word is unimportant when it's actually very important uh, mm. yeah so but i would love any legal listeners uh, legal eagles in the crowd to send in a potluck about the ins and outs of this um because it seems really cool um it definitely seems like a ruling that will have ramifications impacts. yeah but people seem to be fairly divided and uncertain about what those are going to be yeah, from what I've read. that's right. That's right. And, you know, they still have to prove whether or not these things were defamatory. Or, and I think there might still be some arguments that the news media might be able to put that would exclude, like, yeah, basically say Dylan that they Roller didn't publish his def- defamation case is not guaranteed. Totally. But this ruling from the high court will stand. Regardless, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the concerns that has been raised in a few articles is this might apply to uh, groups that are less well able to deal with it than news media places. Yeah, um, so one of the things that Vola's lawyers argued was that, like, many of these big news outlets, because it was like Channel, it was like the Nine Fairfax Papers. And, the Australian, I'm pretty sure. And Sky Herald News, Sun. I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure the Australian yeah. was in there as well. There were yep. a few. I can't remember exactly. But there was a few big ones. Definitely nine Fairfax. It, it, yeah, it, it, and yeah. and the, the lawyers are arguing like these companies have more than enough resources to devote somebody right, to moderating right. comments on their Facebook pages. Um, and one of the things that's also been pointed out several times is that since this case was brought, Facebook has introduced the option to disable comments. Totally. On, yeah. Yeah. You know, on news article posts. Yeah, so that's one interesting thing that I wanted to ask you about. Because, like, I don't really have a strong feeling about this. And I just kind of threw together some things that maybe we could chat about a little bit. And that was one of them, was that, like, yeah, um, the judges point out that these people could disable comments um, or not Mm. post on social media at all, and that they've clearly decided to at least passively encourage these comments. Um, Mm. So one outcome might be that news outlets just immediately close comments after they post. And my question to you, Zach, is... Would that be bad? It's hard to say yes to that question. Right. right? It doesn't because seem like anything that productive happens in the comments on the Facebook post. You're a fucking cesspit. Of... Yeah. 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 The, the comments on any given news article on Facebook are an absolute cesspit. And this, I mean, look, the, like, Dylan Voller was so hurt yeah. and defamed yeah. by, well, you know, not maybe it hasn't been decided whether it's legally defamed. It's like, we can say that, that stuff that was posted on there was fucking racist and disgusting. Yeah. You know, and someone else uh, was drawing the comparison in, um, on Twitter today between this and the case of those two young women from Queensland who mm. broke coronavirus restrictions mm-hmm. and they had their front, their faces put on the front page of the yep. Courier Mail. And those stories were like the comment sessions section was absolutely rife yeah. with racist comments. Totally. So, you know, just shutting that down altogether, you know... <laughs> I, I like nothing of value know. was lost. <laughs> exactly, like we close comments on stuff that's just causing conflict in yeah shit posting all the yeah. time. People get big mad about it, but yeah, yeah, and yeah, I and I can feel people getting 
upset about this as well that it's like mm. i don't know shutting down discourse that it's a free speech issue or whatever but like the flip side of it is that you know these news organizations were clearly doing little to nothing to mm. moderate those spaces which right. they are you know you are at the end of the day responsible for if they're comments on your page like well so you're it turns the... out that's the thing yeah. that we've just discovered but but that's how no i mean not even not in a legal sense i mean that's just how like socially functions. right yeah exactly you're the person literally you're the person with the ability to hide remove, remove stuff yeah those comments or users yep. Yep. so it it makes sense that that would be like a legal so, responsibility as well one defamation of... is a you know, specific thing a, that we don't want to comment on. It's a thorny issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and so this is another thing that I kind of was wrestling with, which is that, like, Australia's defamation laws are already extremely harsh unless you're a parliamentarian. Yeah. And obviously I'm extremely sympathetic to Dylan Boller in this situation because he was, delib- I, I think, deliberately offered up as a target by news yeah. companies. They were like, we can get clicks by making people say racist shit about this guy. Um, And so it does seem like potentially a dangerous precedent in that it might, you know, affect, for example, Snackpot or more, you know, importantly, say, I don't know, women's rights organizations that have Facebook pages and have fucking men's rights trolling, uh, activists trolling them or like Clem Ford might now be responsible for the things people say in her comments, which would be, unfortunate um one of the i know i said i wasn't going to go into the high court uh, like the the various takes on it or whatever um or but one of the things someone said is it's like if people graffitied a public message board and maybe uh, like none of these like yeah there's no one-for-one comparison Right, it's a social there. media thing. Yeah, like, the, yeah, I don't know, so, this this sort of like, you know, it, it, clearly the law is evolving at a much slower pace than it needs right, to in right. order to keep up with, you know, developments in social media and technology more yeah. broadly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, at this stage, we don't know what the longer term ramifications of this right. are going to be, whether or not they're going to affect smaller pages, etc. But part mm-hmm. of what I understand to be like, crucial to this case was that you know it, that these are based that they're news organizations that they're you know entire that they're partially responsible for what they post there because they have a commercial interest mm. in posting their well, content that's definitely one thing is that the yeah the several judges were like well they could have just not posted on social media couldn't they like they like they've decided to get commercial benefit by promoting themselves in this way but yeah, yeah so this is another thing that i wondered about and again i don't have a strong take here but like why not hold either facebook accountable or the commenters accountable legally you know like i think there have been attempts to yeah make commenters a, a, a accountable and that's well we saw what happens when like... you try and make facebook accountable which is yes, well, exactly. they shut down all australian news media um yes Yes, so and, that's that's you know, why not Facebook, which is it's too hard, which is a shitty reason. But, it's too hard. Yeah. Whereas going after Australian news media is much easier. Well, uh, and not just going after Australian news media, right? Because that's what it is in practice. But actually, it's strengthen our already intense defamation laws. That's the easy alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, and like you know, it's those defamation laws are you know this is a fairly rare example of them being used in a virtuous way usually they're used by right, rich people right. to 
yeah, to you know. protect themselves from the effect consequences of their own actions. Of their own yeah. actions, yeah, exactly. Yeah. With, so, uh, as with yeah, uh, I, fucking, what's his name? The yeah, Christian Porter, yeah. Oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah, and like holding commenters accountable is basically cats. Like, yeah. there's just so many variables in terms of like locating the person and. Uh, you know, and where they were. Anyway, yeah, so those were some of the things that I wanted to ask about. I, I, sorry it wasn't a super coherent story there. It was just a number of thoughts that I had, a number of points that got raised in articles. And, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll wait and see. But, um, yeah. Yeah, look, I get it's hard to, you know, neither of us are legal people, and, mm. you know, we'd love any opinions from actual legal people. Um you know, among our listeners, but look, the sense I get around from this is that a lot of the catastrophizing that some uh, commenters are doing um, around this, like, oh, if somebody makes a negative comment on your Twitter, then you'll be, you'll be sent to jail, getting for... sued. It was like, well, no, it's like I, I'm pretty sure that it's specifically around media organizations, big media organizations, and having a commercial interest. Um, in posting that stuff, which I think I don't think that's right. I I I think that they, yeah, I don't think that's right. I think people are now generally going to be held liable for comments on posts that they've published. Well, that's just obviously never going to happen, <laughs> no, right? Surely, like that's how, like literally, how would that be enforced? Like, and you know, yeah. we've seen that these large companies like facebook are basically untouchable by legislation mm. they mm. have so many things that they can hold hostage if they choose to something that's going to like significantly impact their ability to the number of clicks to yeah. get traffic yeah they they won't stand for it yeah which is you know the depressing reality that we're in where mm. these companies have more power than nation states but that's where it is but yeah, I don't know. Look, it pulls in a few different interesting threads. I don't have a strong conclusion to draw about yeah. it because I don't feel like I have the analytical capacity to actually accurately predict what this is going to mean. Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. How about uh, the, the, the podcast that's kind of like Homos and Rice, kind of bland, but when you mix them together... It's kind of doesn't surprising. make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> so, is that going to do us for our news? I that is going to do us. Thanks for chatting with me about that. Pleasure. Uh, if you want a podcast, you got to do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still got to do that shit. Make sure Please follow to follow us on social media. Yeah, but be careful with your comments and as undefamatory as possible uh, for the meantime until we can get a handle on the situation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, uh, so for example, you could leave non-defamatory comments on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, you could... Uh, those are good places to follow us as well. Yeah, like you could follow, follow us. Button. Yeah. Uh, yep. Retweet us. You, you could uh, leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, yeah, you, you could. could. And we got a review. Yeah, this one this is from Luca. Uh, Drip-free Ozpol snacks. 
a fantastic rundown of the week's news and journalism that never drops into oh, five stars, so I should say that never drops into strange electoral tribalism. I especially appreciate the focus on indigenous stories each week that are often drowned out in mainstream media or never seem to get angry enough despite the subject matter. The main stories each week are typically very well researched. <laughs> Sorry about this week. And the hosts are very good boys, almost as good as their pups. I look forward to listening each week while they do weird hobbies that just head down the street. Crunch, crunch, Luca. Thanks, Luca. You're Thanks, Luca. That's really bomb. sweet. Yeah. Luca is very active over on our Discord. Yeah. Which you could also join, listener, if you sign up to our Patreon. One dollar a month gets you a monthly bonus episode plus the Discord. Higher tiers get you more stuff. You can tell us what you want to hear in our bonus episodes if you yep. sign up for $6.90. Nice. Or if you sign up for $13.12 a month, we'll send hey, you Cam. a limited edition Snackpot Little Toasty Guy pin. Yeah. Which I've been told is, is he's, a, he's a cool guy to have Very around. Very cute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And oh yeah, you know, like tell a friend, follow us on whatever you can. You can hit the follow button on Spotify, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah, we're trying to get into the top 50 Australian politics shows on Spotify this year. So please do follow us on Spotify. Yeah, I believe we were 51. Yeah, so it it shouldn't take that much. Maybe unfollow a couple of the other politics podcasts you listen to just to... (laughs) Stop listening to Pine Time. Stop it. All right. Now it's time for a pop game. Any news from uh, Big Bagel this week? Uh, nothing too much. Uh, he keeps, you know, we're still getting him used to my housemate, which is going well. He's chilled out about sign language, which is really nice. Um, he's still not, like, entirely sure about them, but is, yeah, much more chill. Um, yeah, no, nothing nothing major. He's been doing some rank farts this week, and I cannot pinpoint any reason why. Oh, jeez. Um, hasn't been any obvious changes in diet I can find. Does he have any opportunities to sneak you know, sneak eat, like, bits of rotting plant matter in your backyard or something like that while you're not looking? Like, yeah, but not more this week than usual, you know? (laughs) Anyway, I I have no idea, but it's been uh, been a bad time. Maybe it's just spring. He's doing a bit of internal spring cleaning. That's right, yeah. 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 No, that's all. He's been a good boy. You have new, Esther. Yes, you can. That's good. Dante's been a good boy this week as well. I was just going to reflect on, you know, often when I tell stories about Dante mm. on the podcast, they're about him being an evil gremlin. A because, boy, yeah. Yeah, to be fair, he often is. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a little demon. And those make for... Entertaining stories as well. Yeah. But this week, uh, you know, I've just been really enjoying his company. Aww. I've been hanging out watching nice. this... Um, volleyball anime show that mm-hmm. i've been really enjoying called haikyuu first two seasons are on netflix can't recommend it enough if you go and check it out very wholesome stuff and dante will just chill out with me give me a little cuddle you know give me a little lick and it's just so nice you know just hanging out it's like i just have my my buddy it uh, is really nice looking over at bagel and he just like does a little yeah, smile and wag it's like oh it's nice to yeah. see you too man it's nice to see you too yeah. yeah dante's not a big like it's hard to get him to sort of settle and relax yeah. Especially if you're near him, he's like, he's like, either I want the whole couch or nothing. But so when he does like go in for a snuggle and sort of roll on his back and get a scratch yeah. and give you yeah. a little nuzzle, it's like, it's what so cool that I just get to angel. hang out with this beast in my yeah, house. Totally. And he also enjoys my company and we get to like fuck around and wrestle. 
somebody, uh, Courtney, I don't know if they listened to the show, but they're in Ospol shit posting, uh, posted recently about like feeding magpies and how it was cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. And feeding magpies is cool. You should be careful because it, it's really easy to like feed them bad stuff. Do some research, get, get, the, get some mealworms or whatever. Um, but there's something so incredible about just like, finding a way to connect with this local wildlife and just like mm, having a relationship totally. with some birds that live nearby. And like, they know who I am and they know who bagel is and they yeah. know which side of me to stand on. So they don't get too close to bagel, but that I'm chill and won't let him chase them. Um, and it's just really nice. Uh, yeah, it is having relationships with animals, non-human animals, non-human animals. and like yeah. developing ways to communicate is really rewarding. It's a really nice part of life. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So two thumbs up. Animals. To dogs. Yeah, it's and a contentious dogs. view. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to lose any listeners over my hot take here. Animals are pretty cool. Yeah. They're pretty sweet. Thanks All everybody right. for tuning in. Um this didn't end up being a shorter show particularly. Did it not? Yeah. Well, it's a little no. shorter. It's Much a little shorter. shorter. It's... It, it's it's a little shorter. Yeah. Um All right. But it didn't well, let's wrap it up before it goes that's that's true that's true thank you everybody everybody for tuning in um you know stay safe as you can this week and we will catch you next week for some more news being uh, healthy until then keep on brings snacking in a happy hot free world beauty crunch crunch <laughs> <laughs>